There we go. Yeah, I guess Tom had me. Well, on. don't blame Tom. Leave Tom alone. Leave him out of this. I figured it was me. So, uh, but I am the representative for Summit Church with the school district. And uh, back in July, they called me in and said that uh, there had been a lot of changes at school and they needed more room. And as you know, we lost the room beside the, where the nursery's at to ban storage already. And at this point, they informed me that where the ticket office is, and you can see that out here, they made several new offices, and we no longer would be, have that storage area. Secondly, the nursery, which is the first room, uh, was, uh, was the FFA room, and they're building a new building over in the north parking lot. And that's still, you can see, that was supposed to break ground in July, and it's still not broke ground yet. But the, the equipment's there to build that. They had said that at that point, that uh, room's going to become the college room for kids bound to college. And there would be a lot of sensitive records in there, and therefore they were going to lock that room and we could no longer have it. Well, up to this point, I've already been asking for a th another room besides the ones that we have for, so we could have more room for our kids. And uh, so they said at this point... Uh, that should be built uh, by the end of the year, and that we should no long we should look for a different location that we no, we're no longer uh, going to be able to worship here at the school. And I said, well, that's not enough time. They give us end up through the end of June to move for a new location. So, being proactive, we did uh, our board uh, nominated four uh, men to uh, be on a search committee for a new place to worship. And that's, uh, if you don't know, it's Scott Thompson, uh, Ron Little, uh, Kevin Marquardt, and Tom Cousineau. And they've been meeting on a weekly basis to try to find a new location. And they've se checked several out so far. And so with that, you know, we, we felt a certain amount of stress on this. But uh, you might well imagine. How about a lot of stress, okay? <laughs> a lot of stress. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> so, so we come forward to, to this week, and Wednesday night I got another text from him asking if I could meet with the same two gentlemen, Brian Lunn and uh, Dave T uh, Colson, and uh, Thursday morning. And so at 9 o'clock I, I went there, and uh, not knowing because the building was way behind, I thought, well, they're going to give me a little more time and maybe to uh, get this accomplished. And so I walk in, and Dave's not there, but Brian's there, and he says, come on, sit down. And the first words out of his mouth says, I want to apologize to you and to Summit Church. He said, we misunderstood what the superintendent, uh, Sheldon, was wanting. And he wants us to be continue worshiping here at the school. They want that nursery It'll still be the college room, but instead of locking up the whole room, maybe to just have the files locked up. And they thought we did a very good job with the nursery. And so they invite us. We got the pressure off. Uh, we, the Lord works in mysterious ways to me sometimes. <laughs> but uh, the future may be still, no, this is temporary. It always was and always is. But maybe as a nudge, that we need to look for something permanent. So we'll wait and see what the Lord has for us next. But at this point, we'll get to continue worshiping here.
Thank you, Rich. Aaron, Pastor Aaron, why don't you go ahead and tell us a few things. So we want to welcome you this morning. We're excited that you chose to join us in worship this morning. Uh, just a few things to, to let you know about. If you are at the end of the aisle, would you grab your clipboard and pass it down? Let us know that, we're he- that you are here. We're excited to have you again, as I said before. And there are some very important things going on in the life of Summit Church, and we want to make you aware of those things. One of the things that we do here at Summit Church is life groups, and that is one of the core aspects of, of our ministry is life groups, an opportunity to get together with a group of people outside of Sunday morning to really grow in your faith and develop that family in which you can grow together and learn to serve together and learn to be equipped together for ministry. This week, we're launching our new life group series called Made for More. And you're here, Pastor Michael, talk all about that this morning, so I'm not going to talk much about it. But what I would like to do is let you know we do have all of our... Uh, the, the guides and things that you will need to go through this study are out there, so you can do it on your own, or you can join one of our life groups. We have five different life groups that meet throughout the week. Uh, please stop by our connections table. Uh, we'll be glad to talk to you. I'll be there as well as our, some of our life group leaders will be out there. You can get to know them. It'll be a great opportunity to step into a new season as we go into fall and dig into God's Word in a deeper way through our life group. So I encourage you to do that. And then Guatemala. How many of you heard, have heard about Guatemala so far in the last month as we've been talking about our missions to Guatemala? We are partnering with a community in Guatemala. This is an incredible opportunity to touch the lives of people there in Guatemala. And it's something that, we're not, that we've done. It's not a one-time project, but instead it's an ongoing relationship in which we are investing in this community in many different ways. And so we are sending two teams this winter uh, in February and March to Guatemala to do two different things. First, we're sending a medical team, and then we're sending a project team. And our project is our bathrooms, which are so important for the health of the community and especially the school. And so these are great opportunities for you to be involved because you can pray, pray and ask God to do amazing things there in Guatemala and through our teams. You can go and be a part of the mission, and then you can support you can provide financial support for people who are going. But we're looking for seven to eight more people to join those two teams and be involved. So I would encourage you to do that. I'm going to invite our ushers at this time to come forward as we worship through giving this morning. All <laughs> right. Amen. <laughs> Who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead, he's slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. so important. What you got here, that's worth living for. True love. True love. You heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yes, honey. True love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT. Mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato is ripe. They're so perky. I love that. 
But that's not what he said. He distinctly said to blave. And as we all know, to blave means to bluff. Huh? So you're probably playing cards and he cheated. Liar! Which? I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. But after what you just said, I'm not even sure I want to be that anymore. You never had it so good. To love. He said to love, Max. Don't say My another God. word, Valerie. He's afraid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so the reason I wanted to show that clip is because of those two questions. What's so important? And what you got here that's worth living for. So uh, I think it's valuable for you to consider those two questions, for me to consider those two questions right now. Uh, what's so important and what you got here that's worth living for? Obviously, on his deathbed, he's refusing to go because something important is still here. He's got something worth living for. So today we begin this new Bible series, as Aaron has said, and if you're sitting on the edge of your seats, get ready to get back to the Gospel of John. Uh, well, we'll just have to trust God to get us there in his time, because today we begin this new study, Made for More, and it's built upon two biblical and one emotional assumptions. Biblical assumption number one is from Ephesians 2.10. For we are, for you are, for I am, for we together are God's handiwork, God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you, for us, for me us together for us to do. I need you to notice this is about putting our lives in God's hands through his son, Jesus Christ, allowing him to work out his plan in our lives, fashioning us for his good purposes. Biblical assumption number two. Well, maybe we should read that together, uh, Ephesians 2.10. Why don't we read it uh, below the heading there? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And again, I would encourage you to personalize that, for you to do. Biblical assumption number two is John chapter 10, verse 10. There is a thief, and he's on mission, you better believe it, to steal, to kill, and destroy you and me. Everything God has intended. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Can we read that one together? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So life to the full. Friends, it's much more than forgiveness of sin and a free ticket to heaven. Fullness. Now, notice this first image that I brought along because typically when we think of full, we think of something like a cup that's, that's filled almost to the top, just full enough to keep it manageable. But that's not the word Jesus is using here. He is using the word parasos in the Greek, which means exceeding or overflowing. He's talking about an unending inextinguishable source of the best analogy I have this morning of Niagara Falls proportion. It's about living, walking in, functioning in the fullness of God. 
So consider yourself. Can any of us say that I'm experiencing life to the full? And then the second question, would anyone like to? So those are the two biblical assumptions. Now let me give you the emotional assumption that this series is built on. Many of us share what we could call a restless discontent. Can you say those two words? Restless discontent. Yeah. As I get older, Valerie's telling me I'm becoming a little bit more settled. That's pretty unbelievable. (laughs) Restless discontent. C.S. Lewis called it unfulfilled eternal longings. And it's a nagging within each one of us, if we're honest, that says, I am made for something more than what I have yet to experience. I must find it. I must find it. Now, there's a danger here because what we'll tend to do is we'll try to fill that nagging discontent with all of the wrong stuff, consequently doing more damage. Okay, so I want you to notice this next image, this little sand pit. This is a, oh, I got the little creature there uh, first. Go to the next one. Let me see what that is. Yeah, the little, the little sand pit right there. Uh, we'll come back to that one. This is the kind of stuff I grew up playing with in Tucson. Um, yeah, these are, does anybody know what these things are called? Boom! Got it. It's an outline. Absolutely. And so let's go back to that other one where this ugly little creature (laughs) builds this trap. He sets just below the sand at the bottom of this pit. So when an unsuspecting bug comes walking along, an ant, and falls into that trap, he immediately attempts to rescue himself. So he starts clamoring to get out, consequently doing two things. One, he's only pulling down more sand upon himself. And number two, he's triggering to this little creature who's there with jaws pointing straight up. He's he's literally like this. By the way, this is a larva, and it will turn into kind of a mayfly-looking dragonfly kind of tiny little thing, okay? Isn't that pretty unbelievable, that ugly thing, you know, and you think about a, a, a dragonfly sort of a creature. The last one I saw was kind of a purplish hue sort, sort of thing, and he sits there, and so this bug, realizing he's fallen into this pit, clamoring to get out, pulls a whole bunch more dirt on himself, forcing him toward the jaws of this antlion, and number two, triggering to this antlion, lunch is ready. <laughs> so the harder he tries, the bigger the mess he finds himself in, and the ant's only hope would be for a kid like me to say, I'll rescue you, little ant, trust me, and help that ant out of that, that thing. Well, friends, the reason for this picture is, is because there's a robber of life and there's a giver of life. Restless discontent will only be found in God's rescue. The thief has all these clever little tricks for getting us to fall into his, his pit. Gimmicks, tricks, success, adventure, the next thing, uh, stuff, stuff, stuff of the world. They're all antlions. They're all traps. So, so the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, getting our focus on the stuff of this world and our own abilities. Um, but Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And this is about getting our focus on the stuff that really matters, stuff that is eternal. Amen. Yeah, that's a good place for that. Good. Thank you that I didn't have to ask for it. <laughs> awesome. So um, I think most of you know that prior to our moving to Estes Park, 
uh, my professional career in ministry was youth ministry. Uh, did you know that? Yeah. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, how many times have you heard it, right? Yeah. Um, well, because I began uh, at a, a very large, influential church and, and with a pastor that was known, it opened all sorts of doors for me that, that went on for, for many, many years. And I had opportunities to speak at conferences and at, at camps and, and do various seminars in various settings. And, uh, and one of my favorite themes to talk to teenagers about had to do with, with uh, keys for an abundant life. Uh, the last time I did this was actually at a youth convention in, in Denver, and I was given this very large room, and, and I did three seminars, and the, evidently the title grabbed kids because the directors were shocked that not only was there standing room only in the room itself, but kids were outside trying to communicate to each other what was being said inside, and so praise God, evidently we hit something there. And so I would use this uh, uh, a bar stool, three-legged bar stool, because uh, early on I had these three points. And, and so life, life to the full, that each of you teenagers, in, within probably the next 10 years, you're going to make three crucial decisions that will determine the significance of what you're feeling in life as you go forward. Okay, so the first leg was master. Who are you going to serve, right? Bob Dylan sang that song. Who are you going to, Bob Dylan? Was it, yeah. yeah, who are you going to serve? Yeah, who are you going to serve? Uh, second leg had to do with your mission. What will be your life calling? The third one was your mate. Who will you do life together with? Who will join you in this journey? Now, I have to tell you that as God began to minister to me, this thing evolved and eventually it became a four-point message so that I would talk about your master being the foundation that this three-legged stool sat on. Then, uh, then on, that, on that foundation, what will be your mission? What will be your life calling? Who will be your mate? And then third, who will be your mentors? In other words, looking at your master and your mission who are those people that have gone where you want to go, and how do you get around them? Okay, that, that was the challenge. Now, I know some of you are kind of squirming in your seat because you're saying, are you saying everybody has to be married? <laughs> no, I'm not. And when we come to mate part, um, you know, really it's my understanding in Scripture that the highest calling really is the single life because you can be about the Lord's work. In fact, I understand that in the early church, Single people got the front seats and married people got the back seats because singleness was considered to be the higher calling, okay? But let's not miss the point of this analogy of where we're going because it all builds forward toward, toward uh, this, this series that we're working on together. And here's where the, the illustration breaks down. There are two fundamental decisions that need to be the basis of the other two decisions. You need to settle, we need to settle, who will be our master? Who are we going to serve? Will it be self? Will it be God? Will it be something else? When we define who our master will be, it's then that our master 
should help us determine what our mission will be. Therefore, when it comes to deciding who your mate will be and who your mentors will be, those are based upon who your master is and what your mission will be. You got that? Okay, because listen, in, in marriage and in getting around people who are influencing your life, what better opportunity than to get around people who are going where you're going and, and, uh, ha- or have been where you want to go? What, what better opportunity than that? It's very significant, very, very important in doing life together. Uh, hopefully you and your mate share uh, a common master and a common mission. All right, now those were my words in youth ministry, but in our series, we're going to use some different words as foundations for a great life, okay? So I want to give those to you. The first word is be. Can you say that? Be. B-E, right? Yeah, B-E, be, right? This is about yours and my identity. It's about our design. I believe we have a creator, and I believe there's something he's created me to be. Does anybody else believe that? Okay, very good. The second one, so that's master, right? You see this, how this is connecting? Right? Your, your identity is in your relationship to your creator. The second one is do. And do is about your unique calling and purpose and it answers the question what am i made to do okay now we're going to break these down a little bit further to be is your primary calling as i said it's your relationship with god it's your your master i believe life to the full begins here we were made to find our identity in a proper relationship with our creator and apart from our creator is only for a frustration the key to fullness here is knowing God made you and wants to have a relationship with you. To do now is your secondary calling. It's your unique calling. Okay, we have a common calling and we have a unique calling. And this answers the question, what does God want me to do with what he has uniquely given me? Yeah. See, the difference between true Christianity and all false religion of the world is that the true Christian faith knows that you have to begin with B. Christ came to restore our identity, and our identity can only be found in a relationship with our Creator. But all religions of the world, and even Christianity that gets off, wants you to start with do. If you'll just do this and do that and get it right, then maybe you will be acceptable. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So if you've sat under my teaching for any length of time, then you know that I will often talk about this vertical relationship that has horizontal effects, right? Have you heard that before? Vertical relationship, horizontal effects. Well, In this analogy going forward in our series, we want to use the idea of being poured into in order to overflow out. And so with this next picture, I want to thank those who put this together for me, that God wants to so pour fullness into our lives 
that the natural result is this overflow. So your calling, your unique calling is largely about so walking and so depending on the fullness of Christ being poured into you that you're realizing it's only out of the overflow that you're going to have any kind of significant impact. Yeah. So we each have a primary calling. This is our common calling. Can you say common calling? Very, very good. Good class. You're very good class. Yes. Common calling. We can assume that most of us here have this in common. We can assume that most of us here would say we have a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. We can assume that we are disciples who desire everything God has for us, His fullness working in us, working in me, working in you. This is our core and common identity, right? Our secondary calling is unique. Okay, I've addressed this, but we need to emphasize it. It's rooted in Ephesians 2.10. You, I, we, we are his workmanship, each of us being uniquely fashioned to do what he uniquely intends for each of us to do. God uniquely gives each of us the secondary calling that distinguishes us from each other. Well, why would he do that? Because he wants us to learn that we weren't made to do life alone. We were made for community, connection with him, connection with each other. And therefore, he's given this frustration, why can't I do it all myself? And life becomes effective and abundant when we realize I can't do it by myself, but God has put these other people in my life to be for me and me for them what we can't be apart from each other. (laughs) And so the church becomes more effective when we're recognizing this. Your family becomes more effective when we're recognizing, why why didn't everybody do things my way? Go, what's the matter with you people? Why can't you do this and do that? And it's like, well, hold on a minute. You've got a unique calling that costs you to function certain ways. You need to be able to recognize and celebrate the people in your lives who don't do things like you do, but they bring pieces that you desperately need. Wow, it's all about making us complete, making the body of Christ complete. It's about his fullness maturing in me. This is common calling, plus me carrying that to others in my unique way, which equals other people coming to faith, making disciples. All right, we're staying on these points. I am not adding to the mix. So right now, I want to take everything we've said, and I want us to get in this little rowboat together. And I bought a picture of a rowboat here. And this rowboat (laughs) has two fixed anchors, okay? This is not a canoe with, with these kind of anchors. This is a rowboat, fixed anchors that are moving in conjunction with one another. Or number one, that's your primary calling. That's your relationship with God. Or number two, that's your, that's my, sorry, I'm sounding like a preacher. I'm saying, your, your, your. What's the matter with you people? You know, I've got it right, now you need to. No, we're on a journey, yeah, we're on a journey together. Or number two is our secondary calling. I begin to carry my fullness to others by exercising the unique gift that God has given me. So what happens if we get in that little rowboat and we have neither or in the water? 
Drift. Yes, stranded. That's a good word. Eventually we'll get stuck or we'll get or we'll get wrecked, right? Yeah, we're vulnerable to the wind and the waves. It reminds me of this fishing trip we were on in Canada, one of those where you get dropped in a in a float plane and left for, you know, we'll see you next week sometime. And uh, and we and our favorite fishing spot was right on the edge of this rugged waterfall. And uh, <laughs> for whatever reason, we were getting ready to leave. And I pushed off on our boat before my partner was ready to crank the engine on the boat. <laughs> and for the waterfall. And I think that's a story he will never let me forget. Got to have some source of power to move you forward. So what happens if you only have one oar in the water? Yeah, I imagine you'll, you'll, you'll spin in circles. So let's just pause right there on, the, on these thoughts. No oars in the water or just one oar in the water. What do you suppose that could lead to? How about frustration? How about that? How about lack of joy? How about restlessness? How about discontentment? And friends, full-time ministry isn't the way to find satisfaction. It'll only add to your mess. I, I just love to talk about my pastor in Dallas. We loved each other, Dr. Blair Ritchie. Because, man, what an awesome ministry we had reaching a lot of people. But he, oftentimes he couldn't see the results of his work. So he loved to go home and vacuum the rugs because when he vacuumed the rugs, he could see the lines on the carpet and say, I can see results from my work. <laughs> That's Dr. Blair Ritchie. What if God, you guys, this is my first Sunday back, and so you're just going to have to give me opportunity here. And I think God's working, so I'm not going to apologize. And I'm getting goosebumps even as I, as I say this, so praise God. What if God wants to use a restless discontent to help us to realize that we need both oars in the water? We need a proper relationship with God, and we need, to, out of that relationship with God, to discover and live out what he has uniquely designed us to be. Because to move to life to the fullness, we need both oars in the water. Now, you may be sitting here listening to this and saying to yourself, well, I'm, I'm pretty happy with my life. I, I don't know if I'm following God's calling or not, but frankly, I don't care. I don't need to change. Well, consider this, please. Would you consider this with me? If you don't have both oars in the water and you're drifting, and everyone around you is drifting, could it be that what you're doing in life is just playing the comparison game? And is it possible that others have become the standard by which you are measuring life? So you're telling yourself, compared to everybody else, I'm doing just fine. Here's a challenge. Recognize your restless discontent and imagine life with both oars in the water. Because you were made for more, and that's the basis of the weeks ahead. Largely, we're going to pull some scriptures from Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, a good title for Ephesians, and even more so in Colossians is this word fullness. It's the Greek word pleroma. I love that word. Pleroma almost can almost get this picture of this of this in, incredible bouquet just springing to life and, and beauty, and and that's really what this is about. It's in every chapter, Ephesians two ten, you me. We, us together, we are God's handiwork 
created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Notice in there, to be in Christ, right? God uniquely fashions us to do for the purpose of good works so that we can go as he's planned, seeing our lives matter for things that are truly significant. Now, there's a danger as we approach this, and that danger is that we need to avoid seeing this through our own selfish eyes because this is not about me. That's why I wanted everything today to consider us together. Uh, You know, this is not about satisfying your need for narcissism or whatever it is. It's not some other kind of self-help guide. It's about being so in relationship with God so knowing we are love for God that we begin doing that same kind of love in partnership with those around us. What was Jesus' ultimate calling? His ultimate calling was that he would lay down his life for us. What's our ultimate opportunity in worship? Laying our lives down on the altar as an expression of worship to him. So who doesn't want life to the full? And then what would keep us? From getting there. Let me just give you three things quickly and then I, I need to share something else with you. The first thing that would keep us from getting to fullness is the noise. Would any of us, anyone agree with me there's a lot of noise in life? Yeah, so a big part of this challenge is learning to take the offense in life to shut off the noise in order to hear God, okay? The second one is the scoreboard, because as I said, we tend to want to measure our lives compared to everyone else. And I would suggest that you take a look at the people that in our world, it said, man, they've arrived, right? If you want to keep up with the Joneses, that's them. And then to recognize that the people who are the emptiest in life and where all the madnesses are in the very people that we think have it all together. And so what we need to do is put away the faulty scoreboard and say, God, I'm living for you. And then there's a third one that keeps this from happening, and that's talent-bearing, talent-bearing. In Matthew 25, this wealthy man goes on a long trip, and he leaves these bags of gold to three of his trusted servants. Get this, he doesn't tell them what to do with the gold. He wasn't even clear on his expectations. He simply entrusts this gold into their care according to their ability. Now, two of the guys risk it all. With with no promises, they risk it all. They take action while the third guy buries his because he doesn't want to face his master if something should happen to what's been entrusted in his care. So he does the safe thing. He's afraid. When the master come back, comes back, the guys who risked what they were given receive a reward, while the guy who did the safe thing loses everything. What has God given you, what has God given me, that we're burying? And can we pray the prayer, Lord, I'm listening, and I want to, to risk, I want to do whatever it takes to do what you're calling me to do. That's what we're going to, that's made for more. Praise God. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. That was a weak clap. It was kind of like, yeah, tennis game. Yeah, yeah. all right. Um, It's a little late here. I'm sorry. I have to share with you my vision.
Can I share with you my vision? And this is coming out of the sabbatical. Um, I've been on staffs long enough to know what it's like to work with leaders who have no vision. (laughs) It's an irony because when it comes to pastors, um, people will often say one of two things. One, our pastor has no vision. (laughs) Or number two, okay, so he has a vision, but I don't like his vision. (laughs) Oh, dear, yeah, that's the way it is. That's where I live. Uh, My vision is largely because of a young man in my life back in school who had influence in my life. And some of you know his name. What was his name? Pete. Yeah, good. Yeah. Thank you. My vision was sharpened in a couple of ways. One way was 1980 Arrowhead Springs, San Bernardino, California, listening to Stuart Briscoe talk about you are the light of the world. My vision was sharpened. He was talking about we are light by nature in our relationship with Christ. Therefore, people are noticing the light. That's influence. The second one has blown me away this week because the guy that I would say was impressed by God for much of what we're going to be learning in the days ahead, I wrote his name, Robert Coleman. 30 years ago, I was exposed to the book that's affecting this series. It's called The Master's Plan of Evangelism. And that's really where I got this word influence. Pete Davidson, there was something about his life because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. I noticed there was something different, and I wanted what he had. Pete, to this day, can't understand how God would use him to influence me to Christ. So here's a couple of questions. Did Pete even care that he was influencing me for Christ? Number one. And number two, what if Pete could have seen he was influencing me for Christ? Might he have been intentional to say, God, something's going on here. What do you want me to do to be intentional with you to speak into Michael's life? Could that be a possibility? Now, where do we get this word influence? Where do we get it? Are you guys ready to go home or are you okay? In the book of Acts, the disciples are preaching when they say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. The Greek word for household can also translate sphere of influence. And it doesn't just mean your immediate family. It means the people you touch as you go through life. My vision is to encourage. That's why our our old mission statement was encountering God, equipping saints in order to encourage life. Okay, that's what it used used to be. My vision is to encourage and equip believers to become intentional influencers. If Christ has changed your life, somebody is noticing. So I ask you, do you care at all? And if you do care, are you willing to to be about two things? Number one, God, please open my eyes to see this. And then God, show me what you would have me to do to participate with you in what you're doing. Because friends, get this. The pinnacle of evangelism isn't getting people to church. 
It's getting people to Jesus. And the Great Commission was never come and see. The Great Commission was always, as you're going, tell. Right? The path to the pinnacle of evangelism is when each of us begin recognizing this and playing our part. Okay? Now you say, Michael, your vision is too simple. (laughs) Well, let me give you Moses' vision given to him by God. Remember the burning bush? Remember the conversation, right? God gives Moses his vision, and he says, because vision equals mission. Like when we talk about a building, we're talking about strategy, but vision is about mission. So Moses, this is your vision, right? God says, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought these people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, notice these two parts right here. We have a mission, it's outreach. People are living in bondage in some sort of Egypt. God sends us there in order to lead them to freedom, which is the mountain of God, the place of worship. And it's so cyclical. Moses ran from Egypt to to dwell at at the Mount of God, Mount Sinai. Wow, he met God there. Then God said, now go back in order to bring them, in order that they might come, in order that they might come back, in order that they might bring them. And friends, we want to program God's calling on our lives because we don't want to do our job. And then we create all these little strategies and programs on evangelism when God simply says, open your eyes and see the fields are harvested around you. You are having influence. Okay, I want to talk to you about what worship is, but I'm going to stop because I need you to grasp my vision. Influence. Equipping, encouraging believers to have eyes to see God's working around them in order that they may ask, okay, God, I see this. What would you have me to do to join you in what you're doing? So, Um, I asked them to do that worship course we started with. Come up here, you guys. Let's do that worship course because it was the best expression of worship I heard today, uh, this morning when I looked at this whole thing. And I want us to do this expression of worship. And then then we will, uh, I'll, I'll send you away with a blessing. Can we just give out a shout? Glory to God. Yeah, thanks, you guys. I'm gonna stay here with you. Let's stand together, and, and uh, if, if this expression is too high for you, try to find a lower level to sing it, or just, or just express it like you're doing some kind of a, a rap or something, okay? But notice the words, how they're all focused on him. This is what worship is all about. Let's go.